listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. It wasn't all that shocking that Baylor won. Because when you had a minus four and a half point favor, money line was what? Right around minus 200? Yep. It means that there was about a third of the time expected that Baylor would win. Two to one. It would be two times Gonzaga would win, one time Baylor would win, every third time Baylor. So Baylor won. Now, when it comes to who's champion, that's a big deal. But when it comes to, hey, Vegas was just wrong, everyone was wrong, but the margin of victory. So you look at a 16-point win, 86-70 to for Baylor. You think about the four points, four and a half points of the spread. Now we got a score that varies by 20 points. And if you go back to the modern era of the 64 teams, in the title game, that 20 points away from expectation is the biggest spread we've seen. And thus you could say, in a way, Gonzaga had the worst performance relative to expectation. 2002, Indiana versus Maryland, there was a 19.5 point ATS margin. 2006, UCLA versus Florida, there was a 15 point margin. So think about that. 85, 95, 2005, 2015, five more years, 35 years of, or 35 games, we'll call it. And all but three have been within 15 points of the spread. So these have been conservative, tight games. Usually, Expectation in that range is met. Here, Baylor dominated, and it's the biggest spread away from what was expected in the modern era. Fez, what was your number one takeaway? Now, sometimes you you call the master of the obvious. You'll say, like, Baylor played well. What is your number one takeaway? I'm going to give you accolades for being concerned <laughs> so, about so whenever, Gonzaga. Whenever the, heat's re- whenever the heat's really on you, you figure compliment RJ. Beads of perspiration are coming down uh, my go forehead, go yes. But you said that Saturday night game against UCLA, boy, overtime, pressed to the limit. You said, you know, I wonder, Gonzaga, less than 48 hours to prepare. And you look through their schedule, and you had to go all the way back to December, only one time so all year. So let's talk about this. NBA has back-to-backs all the time. When college basketball teams get the most attention during the conference tournament specifically and the NCAA tournament, there's times they play not a bunch of back-to-backs that they do during the conference tournament, but they play a game, then there's a day, then a game. But really, now, in the Pac-12, they'll play those Thursday games and Saturday games all the time. Right, mm-hmm. but other conferences really, it's not typical. Now, sometimes we'll play a, a Saturday, Monday, but typically you don't see. They only play two games a week, and usually they're not separated by just one day. With Gonzaga specifically, it was the start of the season. The first two games they played, I think it was Kansas and Oklahoma State. I'm just going by memory. Is they did play with only one day off, and then there was not another time until the conference tournaments in which they played two games in three days in which both of the competition were like even in the top 150. Exactly. Right? It was like Acorn State against Johnny Appleseed (laughs) U or whatever. So your point was, hey, RJ was kind of questioning maybe fatigue, especially with an overtime for Gonzaga. Saturday then to Monday was the next game. Did you sense that Gonzaga was tired? 
I sensed that they were a step slow across the board the entire game. Are we sure it's not just that Baylor is better than we thought all along? Oh, I think Baylor is better as well. All right, so that's your takeaway. Baylor's good. Baylor is exceptional. Uh-huh. That's my second Now, you were away. looking to fade them not that long ago. Yeah, and I, you were right about this. You talked about that COVID disruption. And you, and you went ahead and had us run the numbers. And Baylor... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't have you run the numbers. I had McKenzie run the numbers. Exactly. And so this is a Baylor McKenzie, team. what do you think about how... <laughs> well, it's always we when it's you doing the work. You ever notice that with him? Teamwork makes the dream work. Happy to help. I, I guess so. I guess so. I'd be awesome one time... If, if somehow Fez did the work and you did it and you hear Fez go, me and Mackenzie did this work, <laughs> never hear that part. He'd be like, I was at home at the pool doing some <laughs> private study. All right, Steve Fezzik, you guys looked at the numbers and what we figured out was they had a 20-day Baylor did COVID pause. I think it was from like the 2nd of February to the 22nd in that range. Then, now here's where we got to accept we're doing arbitrary ends. As in, once they stop losing is when we're going to say the COVID kind of stopped being an issue. But the range of time isn't that unreasonable. There was eight games after the COVID pause. They were two and six against the spread. Baylor. Except for those eight games. And the point that's arbitrary is, should we have counted the, the maybe six of those games as the COVID? And then, no, because it's more convenient to kind of count eight because that's when they were losing. So let's admit that it's not a science. But other than that, and Mackenzie, let's give you some credit here. The ATS record of Baylor in games other than the eight games after the COVID pause. And by the way, those eight games ended with the first game of the tournament. That was the eighth game after the COVID pause. The record in other games for Baylor the entire season against the spread was? 18 and 4. 18 winners, only four losers. Think about that. 22 games. The Vegas spread is trying to, even, every one, they're trying to make it literally a coin flip. That's what the spread is, the great equalizer. And 18 times they win and four times they lose. You just don't see that. This Baylor team was underrated because they had a artificial depressant on their results during a period after the COVID pause. And otherwise, they were otherworldly. And don't forget, and we said this a couple of times, and we repeated it, Baylor was 1B and Gonzaga was 1A all the way up to February. It was like, in Vegas, Fez, they had a lot of um, Baylor-Gonzaga versus the field. Yes, and there wasn't any sense that Illinois was at that level or Iowa. They were good teams, but it was the two halves and the others were in a different tier. When the tournament started, Baylor was at the end of that COVID hangover, as we'll call it. And all of a sudden, Baylor had dropped back to the pack. It was Gonzaga and everyone else. Exactly right, because they had that loss to Kansas, the loss to Oklahoma State, and the infamous, they almost lost to Iowa State, a team that did not win a conference game all year long. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Let's transition to Gonzaga. We were talking, amongst others, that this could be the best team of all time. In fact, even though they had the tight game against UCLA, you could have explained that away. Because, Faz, you came in after on Monday and you said, 
I got to tell you something. I think Big Gonzaga played great. It was just UCLA made contested shots. There was contested shots. Remember? Yes. So if Gonzaga had won by, oh, I don't know, 15 in this game, which would have been less impressive than Baylor winning by 16, oh, let's say 16, because they would have been the favorites winning by Mm -hmm. 16, let's say. The conversation right now, right now, today would be, is Gonzaga the best team ever? No question. And literally, I'm not sure I would have disagreed with it. Well, I'm not sure who would have been. Now, remember, best team ever, meaning if we had a time machine and they all played, that's not what we're talking about. We're saying relative to the competition at the time, who had the most dominating season? Because when you have guys like Patrick Ewing or whatever playing four years, it's hard to think that the guy, the teams today could play with them. But another perspective would be, well, the, the quality of play in general has gotten better. Yes. It, it becomes a debate about things that no one's really talking about. The question is, everyone starts a season with an equal chance in the, given the givens of COVID or no COVID or whatever, and who dominates the most. And undefeated would have been the first time since 1976. And... We could say that their margin of victory, we could say the fact they're out of conference would have been really good. Gonzaga would have been in the conversation for the best team ever. Now they're an afterthought. They're not even going to be discussed. And we can debate that. It's like the Patriots. If the Patriots had beat the Giants, they would have been probably proclaimed without much doubt the best team ever. But now they're not even in the discussion. Now, I do love as a society that we exalt winning like we do. I do. Because I think winning matters. I think there's things that contribute to winning that we don't even fully understand. And by valuing winning, we value those things. Look at Tom Brady, the effect he's had on the conversation about eating right, about um, sacrificing money for the team. If Brady wasn't winning, we wouldn't even be talking about TB12. But when he wins in a way that is unparalleled, we're saying maybe it's about why isn't Aaron Rodgers taking less? Why why is so-and-so complaining about whatever? Tom Brady's influence in the conversation. Winners get the parades. And analytics people often don't like that. And we want to debate the second-place team that was really better than the first-place team. But I'm with Barney at the bar and the hoi polloi, as they say, saying... Hey, count the rings. Count the Mm. rings, I think, is a valid approach. So what does this say about the Zags? Are they, I think, still unequivocally, they're one of the top five programs in the country, right? I mean, if we had to even say, even if you want to be a pessimist and negative on the Zags, where do you put them? I mean, you can say Duke. You can say Kentucky. I mean, who else? Is Is there even a third team you could put ahead of them and, and think it even could be right. No. What do you think, McKenzie? Always been a big North Carolina fan, but not right now. Not even close. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I mean, it just feels like North Carolina, I mean, maybe I'm just perception, but it feels like they've been relatively down over the last five years, right? It does. They're not getting the NFL draft prospects like Vince Carter that they used to. Yeah, NBA, yeah. And to me, it's a situation that let's not even debate if it's third or fourth. They're certainly a top five program. Gonzaga is a top five college basketball program, and they're starting to get the recruits 
to line up with that because I think the analogy would be Clemson in college football is Clemson under Sweeney had amazing results going neck and neck against Alabama when they were recruiting, uh, you know, the 12th best in the country, the 15th best, and then they moved to like the ninth. So meaning Alabama is like number one or two every year. Clemson was in the teens and Clemson was going toe to toe. Now in the last year or two, Clemson's getting an equal recruit quality. And now the question is, does Clemson get better? Now, what we saw last year was they didn't. Mm-hmm. That somehow, some way, with better players with tre- than they had in the past, with Trevor Lawrence in his last year, they just get dominated by an Ohio State team that got dominated by Alabama. Now, that doesn't mean the old transitive property doesn't mean so much that Alabama would have dominated Clemson for sure, but you know what? I think they would have. So does Gonzaga lose something that is part of their secret sauce as they start getting these elite players? Or is the secret sauce still there? Now there's just more talent, and now they finally win it. What's your gut feeling? I think the secret sauce is still there. And, you know, this year with four projected first or second rounders in the NBA, I think it's just a matter of time that they continue to recruit this way till they finally get a title. Except they're recruiting differently than they have in the past. So the question so would you say this current team is that Gonzaga had that played last night, is that representative to you of the old way or the new way? As in recruiting Good players, but not great players that come together as a team? Or were these great players? I think a combination. These players are head and shoulders better than any recruitment that they've ever had before. But they played the Gonzaga way. They played Mm -hmm. together. And do you think it's going to be a... And and listen, there's no right answer to this. There's going to be a true answer. We're just going to have to see what it is. But the case could be made when you... It could have been an advantage they couldn't get those players. So isn't the ultimate question going to be... Whatever the character issue is, whatever the secret of we like kids that had a paper route or whatever it is, they were going for a certain type of kid. Now, they, they weren't choosing. It's like the guy who has he's loyal to his girlfriend, but he doesn't have that many other options. <laughs> you still appreciate the loyalty. But Paul Newman being loyal to his girlfriend slash wife eventually... That tells you something, right? Yeah. So now imagine a situation where there's an average-looking schmo, and he's loyal, and lo and behold, he becomes a lottery winner, or lo and behold, he's a movie star, or maybe think of the situation or something on, you know, Jersey Shore. All of a sudden, they're famous. Now he's tempted. He's tempted because it's not necessarily. Some, you know, whatever, the temptation's going to be different. Gonzaga's going to be tempted to take the compromise that this guy's so good that to some degree, whatever the secret sauce that might be missing, you know, maybe it's not missing. Maybe it's there. We just got to bring it out of him. And all of a sudden, you become the worst of both worlds where you've got talent, but not as much talent as a Duke or Kentucky. 
but then the secret sauce is ruined because you're injecting those non-secret sauce people into ah, the program. Interesting. You bring in a couple prima donnas, you know, and Timmy, the big man for Gonzaga, had a little bit of that in him. Remember, he was showboating. Oh, you're sitting here judging. You're judging from a distance. You know, Go ahead. That mustache does not look nearly as good as I thought it did a couple days ago. You know. So <laughs> now you think the mustache is a sign of him being like iconoclastic. <laughs> he, he's looking for attention. Oh, he's definitely looking for attention. And the old Gonzaga wasn't, was it? They weren't. I mean, Morrison didn't cry over attention. No. Not over that, no. <laughs> I'm RJ Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Do you like football? Do you like the NFL draft? Well, guess what? I have you covered on the Three and Out podcast with me, John Middlecoff. I need you to go subscribe right now. Because we're talking the draft. We're talking Zach Wilson. We're talking Justin Fields. Mac Jones. Is he really going to go to the 49ers? I have it all covered. I used to scout in the NFL. And now I talk about football on the 3 and Out podcast. Go subscribe right now. We've got the odds for next season. Gonzaga is the favorite again. 7-1 to odds. Michigan. Juwan Howard getting some love. Second favorite, 12-1. to Villanova, 14 to 1, third favorite. UCLA, 16 to 1. Now that one's surprising. You gotta wonder, UCLA, if they got beat in the playing game, what would their odds be for next year? Probably 30 to 1, right? I don't know. It wouldn't be they wouldn't be the fourth favorite, I'll tell you that much. Ohio State tied with UCLA at 16 to 1. And then Baylor, I think it's two people for sure leaving for Baylor. 17 to 1. Now, if you look at the traditional blue bloods, none of them, well, I think UCLA would be a traditional blue blood, but kind of one that stayed contemporary. Kansas, 18 to 1. Duke and Kentucky, 20 to 1. North Carolina, 33 to 1. So a changing in the guard in a way. I think another thing that we cannot undersell, and we've got to put it in our pocket for the future, is teams that are undefeated or got history on their minds, it wears on you. Mm. Isn't it? Maybe it's a coincidence. Undefeated Patriots team. And they've talked about this. They said if they had lost a game, they think it would have had a better chance to win. Every break at the end of the last game, it feels like it's so big. It's going to be big in a Super Bowl anyway, but when you're going for, you know, I guess 19-0 and 0 at the time, it feels bigger, and I don't think that bigger helps. you got enough motivation. Now every level of stress after that is just additional stress that doesn't have any real benefit. Do you agree with that? Oh, I do, absolutely. And just the But I didn't hear much of that about Gonzaga. I was saying it, but I didn't hear anyone saying. I was saying the weight of this is going to get to them, and I mean that was it. Didn't seem to be, and who knows if that had anything to do with it, right? We're, we're speculating. That's what we do. That's what you got to do as a handicapper. But it wasn't in the forefront of your mind. It was not. Why not? Just because they hadn't, they didn't have to put much energy forth in any of these games. I always worry about the undefeated team that's using lots of energy to win the games. Yeah, but see, it's just that you think these kids are going to be tired. Like if they only had a nap before the game, it'd be okay. <laughs> it's going to be what happens in the moment when the. Listen, I've had times. I can tell you one time. This was. I mean, this is like seven, eight years ago. Where, and this is public knowledge. Is 
So at Sports Center, I ended up using Cousin Sal to do like picks way back when. And the, the two finalists for that were me and Cousin Sal. And I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly. And they flew me into LA and I did a, uh, a full rehearse, you know, full kind of fake show or whatever on the Sports Center set. And at the time, I had had a lot less TV experience, a lot less all experience. I don't think I remember that, meaning that it felt so big that 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 I went through the motions. And I'm not saying that was why I, they, you know, I didn't get picked or whatever. It was just like it was a big emotional thing, mm-hmm. and or I'm not even emotional, I, I stressful. I think if you're going for some people freeze up regardless if you're going for the title they're going to freeze up and play bad anyway but you add in history best team of all time the stakes go up and a lot of people say in the Super Bowl they don't remember the first quarter of their first Super Bowl yes their body you know almost malfunctions from the stress it does feel like that Kentucky undefeated team now we got Gonzaga we got the Patriots When's the last time there's been a coronation like this is going to be one of the best teams of all time and they actually won? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would think those teams would win more than half the time. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. 